Our scripture passage this morning is found in Acts chapter 17. I just wanted to check the, uh, the syncing, so let me clap one more time. Our scripture passage this morning is found in Acts chapter 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. After Paul and Silas has passed through Amphilius and Apollyon, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I have proclaimed to you. Some of them were persuaded and joined with Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplace, they formed a mob and set the city in uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the believers before the city authorities, shouting, These people have been turning the world upside down, have also come here. And Jason has entertained them as guests. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. The people and the city officials were disturbed when they heard this. And after they had taken Baal from Jason and the others, they let them go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We've all been picked on before. It's a part of life. But there's one thing to be picked on. It's a very different thing when what they say is true. There is something about 7th graders in particular that have this ability to, in a moment, size you up and discern that one thing that you're insecure about, that one thing that's off. Your neck's too long, they'll say out of the blue. What happened? Did your head stop growing and your neck keep going? No one else has ever noticed that about you, but here you are, a 40-year-old man, I mean person, and all of a sudden all you can think about is nothing else than your long neck guy. It's one thing to be attacked. It's another thing completely when what they say is true. Paul knew this. Paul was going around the world spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And he and his friend Silas came to a Roman city called Thessalonica. It's, it's right there. It's located on the Aegean Sea. It's a major coastal port. There's this, there's this giant... Uh, 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 column thing. I don't quite know what that is. I couldn't be bothered to switch over to the next page of Wikipedia and find out. And as was his custom, when he, when he shows up at town, he goes to the synagogue and for three Sabbaths he preaches, he argues, he persuades the crowds to believe that the Messiah has come in the person of Jesus and that Messiah must be crucified and rise again. And people respond. Just like all the other times, Paul preaches and people hear and they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, both Jews and Greeks. Some of the new people in town didn't like this attention. 
Some of their religious leaders got jealous and they, they formed a mob. They, they set out to find Paul and Silas. They set the city in an upworld, it's an uproar. It seemed like a, a full-blown riot. I know sometimes looking back at these type stories, they seem quaint and, and, and calm, but, but I can't imagine how terrifying it would be to have the authorities and a mob of people rush into my home and pull me out in the street. And the troubling thing is, the accusers weren't wrong. They call Paul and say that he is turning the world upside down. And that's exactly what they are doing. In the resurrection of Jesus, the world has changed. The future and the past have changed. Death is undone. Your sins of your past no longer define you. The grave is not the end. Sin needs not imprison you. The universe is breaking open in new a song of new creation. Up is now down. In is now out. Everything is changed. The world is being turned upside down. It's almost as if the authorities hear the message that Paul is preaching better than we do. In Thessalonian, in Thessalonica, they accuse Paul of preaching a new king. And he certainly was. And here's the thing about new creation, about new kingships. The old creation, the old kingships, they, they don't like it very much. They want things to stay the same. Sedition is the big word. It means to, to incite people to disorder against the state. Ironically, that is what Paul and Silas are accused of doing, but that is exactly what the religious leaders were doing. So the enemies aren't right. But they're not wrong either. And you would think that, that with this type of birth story, with this uh, hardship and persecution right in the, the inauguration of the church, that it would destroy it. That's what we do with diseases like, like cancer. We, we, as soon as we, we see them, we, we attack them with, with chemo and radiation. And to hear some people th talk, you would, you would think that the church is on life support today because of all of the grave persecution we're getting. I mean, in our country, Christians seem to have a meltdown every time someone doesn't say Merry Christmas. And here are these brand new baby believers. And they are getting hunted down in the streets and they are dragged from their homes. Here you have this weird combination of Greeks and Jews. And it seems destined to fail. How could men and women from such a diverse background with so little in common survive? But that isn't what happened at all. The story of Acts moves on to another chapter, but, but we have a letter that Paul wrote back to this fledgling congregation. It's called First Thessalonians. I want you to, to hear just the opening bits of, of this letter because it is one of the most uplifting epistles we have. One of the most joyous celebrations. Here's what Paul says. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the church in Thessalonians, grace and peace to you. We always give thanks to God for all of you and have mentioned you in our prayers constantly remembering before our God and Father your works of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction, just as you know 
the persons we proved to be among you for your sakes. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution you received the word with joy and inspire inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. We always give thanks to you in our prayers. We remember you before God for your works of faith and love and steadfastness. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And now your faith has become an example to all the believers. All of this from a church that should have been dead on arrival. All of this from a, a body of believers who shouldn't have made it off the ground. I know it's hard to hear, but sometimes hardships and persecution is a catalyst for faith. Sometimes those things we endure are a crucible that reveals truth. Hardship and, and suffering, it, it ain't right. But sometimes it ain't wrong either. The persecution in the Thessalonian church exposed the world for what it was, ruthless and a hateful place. And it also taught these new believers that there was a better way, a better place. The hatred they felt led them to become imitators of Christ, to live a life of faith and love. This persecution drew them together in this tight-knit group where they excelled in serving one another in the face of these external attacks. It's no news to you today that we are going through some hard times right now. This virus ain't right, but it ain't wrong either. Because it has exposed how fragile, the truth of how fragile we all are. Uh, this, this microscopic, invisible entity can be so dangerous and so spread and, and so quickly halt our health. I think it exposes the truth of how fragile our economy is. This big thing that we, we hold to for, for hope and security can be brought down so quickly. It reveals how unequal our world is, where the rich and the powerful shelter in place in mansions and are quarantined on yachts, and the poor are sent out to essential services, sometimes without even protective gear. I think it exposes the truth that we are safe and secure. And you might be thinking that, that this not being able to meet as the church, that the fear that is in society is starting to break into our walls, that, it, that it's going to cripple us. But, but I think it's the exact opposite. I think this virus exposes how strong we are. How, how sometimes, yes, we take for granted the support and the importance of being a community, but right now we're seeing the links that people will go to to care and to love and to be with one another. This virus ain't right, but it ain't wrong either. For I believe as it, ex it has exposed the truth and caused us all to cherish the church and the community of faith we have. But you know, ultimately, there's a truth much deeper. And that's what kept the church in Thessalonica anchored through the persecution. 
And it is the same truth that can keep us anchored today. It's the truth that is the foundation of the gospel. You see, what those seventh graders see so clearly is that we all deeply desire belonging. We desire to fit in. We desire to be accepted. In these days when the virus has isolated us and it makes us feel fear and we are pondering if we will all die alone, it makes us feel like we are beings with no hope that we can be ended so easily. The mob in Thessalonica accused them of being some weird cult that was divisive and a danger to the world that would ostracize them all. But here is the truth that this motley group of Jews and Greeks held to. Paul says it in verse 4. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. The good news of the gospel ultimately for every human is that Christ has done what we could not do. Christ has chosen us. Christ has welcomed us. Christ has opened the doors of his family. There is someone who wants us and accepts us. No matter what we've done in the past, no matter how we've messed up, no matter how long our necks are, no matter how our teeth are, no matter what, who we are, no matter if our body is lame or broken or under attack, the eternal God has chosen you and I to be a part of his family. That's it. That's the good news of Jesus that anchored the church in Thessalonica together against all odds. And that is the truth that can anchor us together in all storms. You have a place of belonging. You have been chosen by God to be a part of his family forever. The hardships that surround us ain't right, but they ain't wrong either. And now as the accepted and belonging family of God, we're going to do something that families have been doing for countless generations. We're going to have a meal together. Now, these are a little uncertain times and, and unprecedented, uh, so we're going to do things a little differently. What I want you to do is I want you to go get from your kitchen or from wherever you can a, a piece of bread and a cup of grape juice. If you don't have those available, I would invite you to use your imagination and get some kind of facsimile. You can, you can take some liberties right now only. So we'll pause, we'll wait, you go do that, and then come back. Okay, you have everything you need, right? Bread, juice, probably a napkin would be a good idea in case something spills. So let's take a moment now to quiet our hearts prepare ourselves in mind, body, and spirit to enter into this time of holy worship as we commune with God and with one another. Let us pray. Holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, to set at liberty those who were oppressed. Christ healed the sick, 
fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins, we live in the hope of his coming again. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks again and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you, O Heavenly Father, in praise and thanksgiving. And we pray, O God, that you would pour your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts, that they may be for us the power, by the power of your Spirit, the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, as the music plays, would you, with those who are gathered around you, or by yourself in the presence of the Lord, feast on your heart and receive in gratitude the acceptance and forgiveness of God. 